thank you. Can we thank Carl? Absolutely phenomenal. Great job. You guys can grab a seat. Carolee, you're doing so good. I don't know if I, you can join to stay there the whole certain. No, thank you, Carolee. You can grab a seat as well. Amazing. Put that there for now. Welcome. How are you doing? Good. If we haven't met yet, my name is Dan. My wife Hannah and I get the honour of pastoring this incredible church, and it is so good to have you here. We're in a preaching series at the moment, uh, helping people see Jesus. Something that is crucial to us as a church, and I believe uh, it really is kind of the, the, the pinnacle point of Christianity is, do you truly see Jesus? In Ephesians 1.18, Paul was praying, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you may come to know. And that's a beautiful thing we want to pray, amen? And he echoes that kind of similar thing in Ephesians 3, 19. He's like, oh, that you would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge and understanding. So it's his depth, it's his spiritual reality that we want to talk about in this topic that how can you know something that surpasses knowledge? It doesn't make sense unless we enter something deeper, something truer. And I want to continue to say that because everyone can see the church or Christianity in our world right now. It's not, it's not an absence of seeing crosses hanging around people's necks. It's not an absence of seeing Christianity. That's not what we're talking about. It's helping people who see to actually see. Never forget the Pharisees were often with Jesus. They could often see Jesus. They often heard Jesus. The Pharisees were often close to Jesus, but they had no relationship with Him. They couldn't see. Uh, Matthew 13, 13 says, And hearing they will not hear, and seeing they will not see, because they're not repenting. And that's what I want to continuously come to the heartbeat. Otherwise, this is just going to be a, a two-month preaching series. But I want us to catch the heart. Here, what we're doing, church, is, is understanding the spiritual reality that we're at work in right now. Understanding that it is not just a matter of inviting our neighbours or our work colleagues or our family to come to church. What we're doing in this moment is, is praying and looking at the Bible and going, God, help them see you. I, I love uh, Philip's invitation to Nathaniel and any chosen fans out there, this is one of my favorite episodes. He's like, Come and see, come and see. And when he came, Jesus looks at him and he goes, Oh, before Philip called you, I saw you. The word saw there, we're going to look at a lot next month. It's Ido, E I D O, and it means to know and understand. See the depth in that? It's not just seeing. I'm not concerned to stress this again that Corumban and our surrounding suburbs haven't seen church or heard about Jesus. My concern is they haven't seen and they haven't heard that they are loved by a God who is love. And so can you join me in not just attending on Sunday? It's so good to have you here, but can you partner with us in praying for people to see Jesus? Especially in this lead up to Easter, we're doing this preaching series leading into Easter. If there's one time of the year Australians are most prone to attend church, it's Easter weekend. 
And so what I want to do is continuously challenge us. Get one of those cards, our focus cards. There's still a bunch there. On the back, commit to. I'm committing to praying for and inviting someone. And when you write their name down, I've got three at home. I'm praying for these neighbors. I'm like, Lord, pray. Come on, come on. When I invite them, come on, Holy Spirit, do what I cannot do. Bring them and help them to know it. Help them to see you clearly. So can you join us with that? Even if you can't make this Wednesday night prayer meeting, can you please be praying for salvation? May it always be, I'm just going to throw this out there, but I want us to catch this. May it always be a failure to us if we grow without seeing salvation. The win isn't just numbers. The win isn't just impact and stuff like that. This is an eternity we're talking about, friends. It's the kingdom of God. We have to have that as our key, our key victory. Our win as a church, someone, someone meeting Jesus. I want to talk about that today and I want to talk about that now. Can you please welcome to the stage Miss Kediana? Kia ora. Kia Ah, see, I'm trying to learn Māori, but it's, anyway, not really trying to learn it in, in depth. It's a lot easier. There's one dialect, isn't there, for Māori? Yep. I tried. I was like, all right, I'll try and learn some Aboriginal phrases and stuff, and it just didn't go well. I was like, oh, man, I'm saying the wrong thing. Anyway, so welcome. Good to have you. Uh, introduce yourself, a little bit about yourself for the people here. Come on. Oh, good to have you. Daughter of Doris, mother of two wonderful girls, and uh, a key, key member of our church. But Kat, um, people see you up here singing, and they know you're know, doing the internship and serving, and it looks in many ways like life has just always been really easy and wonderful. And then they get to know you, and they see an absolute warrior. They see highs and lows and a faithful a uh, wonderful story of, of God's saving work in an absolutely amazing woman. Now, I, I've talked, to, we were talking before, I think that there is so much in your story that we will have to stay, save for a further, very, a uh, lot longer time. But we want to hear about that saving work in your life. So briefly, bring us into what was, what was your upbringing like and... and Brilliant. That's oh, it's so good. Oh, I wish that offer was to me. Yeah. And then finishing high school at the Catholic school. And what did life look like with this God awareness, as you mentioned, but uh, not that relationship with Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, so 
Mm-hmm. Yep. Lived a, lived a, a life outside of uh, the ways of God. Mm. Um, and well. I was tasting and seeing all the things of the world that were good, that mm-hmm. were good, like false good. Um, yeah, so I haven't really tasted for a few years, but yeah, yeah well. Okay, cool. And did that kind of feeling and lifestyle uh, carry on until you moved up here, or did it shift before you came up? It, it started to shift before you moved up, but I was like, ah. mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, yeah, when we moved up, it was, yeah, so it was something that happened. Yeah. Like, yeah. A shift. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, come on, you started coming here, mum's leading you along. So, I had to jump in there. Uh, a pastor who used to be my lecturer at Bible College in Sydney ran into me at a conference, like 2017 or something. He's like, stop, Dan. Kediana's going to your church, right? And I'm like, uh, yeah, how do you know her? He's like, so much prayer went into that girl. <laughs> so good. And I just took it as an opportunity to take all the credit, really. No, just kidding. I didn't. No. But so... God's doing a work in you. you. You move up here and, and things start shifting in your world and heart. Yeah. Walk us through that. Yeah, there was like a few changing moments. So there was just things that happened that I knew weren't me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't know where this is coming from. It's really bizarre. This, like, there were things that I would do regularly and it just sort of stopped. And I was like, I don't know. Like, I've learned these things and I can't do them mm-hmm. And if you can elaborate on that, do you feel like you grew into that revelation that Jesus loves you and the cross was for you? Or do you feel like it happened in a moment you can think of? Incredible. Come on, let's give God some praise, Lord. We love you, Lord. I love that moment. That's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Incredible. And then now, so how did that moment kind of shift and change and what does life with God look like for you now? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there was nothing that I could ever do that would be able to get me to that, to like where I am today. 
Yeah, incredible. Come on. Beautiful. Kiriana, we love you. Can we please thank Kiriana for her testimony? Absolutely amazing. Please come. I want to hear a few more stories this year of God's work in our heart. And so we're going to do that from time to time because that's why we're here. Amen. Lord, do it again. I always love the uh, stupid technology. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I don't love that. I always love that moment at the end of um, Hacksaw Ridge, you know, where the actual guy is giving his testimony about going back and saving everyone. He's the, um, yeah, the actual person who was in the war, and he goes, I just kept praying. Long story short, he, he saves lots and lots of people all through the night by going back, and he goes, I just kept talking to God and saying, God, just one more, just one more. And I just think that's the most beautiful picture of the church, amen? It's like sometimes we can crave the you know, Billy Graham moments, and I'm all about that. God, you do what you need to do, but for us, it's like help us appreciate the ones. Help us pray for the ones. Help us to name the ones. Help us believe for the ones. And so every time I hear a story about the one, I'm like, Lord, just one more, just one more. All right, we are going to reread Luke 19 this morning. We've been preaching through it the last few weeks. How good was Pastor Denzel last week? Absolutely phenomenal message, mate. Did incredibly well. And he was helping us see, thank you, we'll keep that up. He was helping us see um, the passage that we're going to read, the aspect of that no one had to introduce Zacchaeus to Jesus before Jesus knew his name. He, he, when the moment when Zacchaeus climbed the tree, he looked up, he said, Zacchaeus, come down. I, I must be a guest at your house today. And that aspect of we've always been known. God didn't meet Kediana in that moment when she got the revelation. She was always known. And so when you, that's salvation. It's not like Jesus meets you on this magical altar call because you said a magical prayer and he's like, oh, okay, I guess I better write a plan for your world. He knows you. And I want us to know that because when we're witnessing and loving our neighbours and our work colleagues, like the now, before they're saved, while they're living in sin, while they're not living for God, He knows them. That motivates evangelism. Because suddenly now it's not on me to do all this crazy work to get you to Jesus. All I'm trying to get you to see is that you're already loved and already known. But there's a better life on offer in Him. And so that's what we want to see. And you did it so well last week. So here we go again. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector in the region. He'd become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. I want this bit today. Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. Ah, Thank you, Lord. The people were displeased. 
The people were displeased. Someone just encountered Jesus. The people were displeased. The people were displeased. Yeah. Lord, help us not to be that. Guard our heart. He's going to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I give half my wealth to the poor, Lord. And if I've cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Let's pray. Something I want to do more and more is just pray the Lord's Prayer together. So let's pray. Oh God, our Father in heaven. Oh, we love you. Thank you for loving us, Dad. God, I pray we'd grow in that intimate, personal relationship with you as our Father. May your name be kept holy. May we see it as something so wonderful, so powerful. God, we pray today yet again that your kingdom will come and your will be done in this church, in this service, in our hearts individually. Your will be done in our workplace. Your will be done in our families. Your will be done in our streets. Your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven, God. I pray today you'd give us our daily bread. We give you praise. We thank you with, with a spirit of thanksgiving for everything you provide us with. You, you meet our needs, God. We live in a beautiful part of the world, have food on the table and a roof over our head. We give you praise for that, God. We don't deserve that. We know better than people born in other parts of the world into poverty. So we thank you for the life you've blessed us with. Help us not to idolize it above you. Help us to thank you for it. And we also pray for revelation today. That daily bread, that fresh revelation. Help us to see this passage for the very f in a new way, like we're just reading it for the first time. God, we thank you that you would forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. God, this week, every time we've wandered from you, every time we've put something above you or we've sat on the throne of our heart to lead our own life and be our own God, we repent of that, Lord. We come back to you. We also pray those people who have offended us or we've taken offense, maybe we misinterpreted a moment, free us of that. Free us of that, God. Help us to forgive freely because we've been forgiven freely. Lord, I pray you lead us not into temptation this week, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord, I thank you that when we are tempted to be angry, we're tempted to take revenge, get someone back because they hurt us. We're tempted by lust or greed, jealousy. Help us in those moments. Holy Spirit, speak to us. We thank you that it's only by the power of the Spirit living inside us that we can overcome sin. So lead us not into that place, God, but deliver us. I pray we'd live a life where you get all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. God, yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever. Amen and amen. I had, I, it's not in my notes, I had a moment this week, I had to call someone about something that happened, how long ago, love? Uh, you were pregnant with Abel, five years ago, nearly six. Something happened nearly six years ago. Doesn't go to this church, doesn't live in this city. I'd held on to it for that long. And I was like, trying to so many times just let it go, doing the freedom steps, naming them, like, Lord, I let them go. Next day, they're still there. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I've seen this person, I've talked to this person a bunch, so I was like, I'm just going to call them about it. 
just had to specifically name it. And I was like, hey, this happened and it really offended me and hurt me. And I'm actually not sure of your involvement in it. I've got to be honest, I think I've overwritten your involvement in it. And I've probably made you to be more evil in this situation than you actually were. And I actually feel like Satan's taking a hold of that in my heart to really resent you. And I said, can we just talk about it? And so like 35 minutes on the phone talking about it, trying to pray together. And you just feel this freedom after. Most people aren't awful people, right? They're barely even mean. But we just take something and we're like, <laughs> just, <laughs> we're the ones who trap ourselves. And so I'm trying to pray that prayer more often when I'm like, help me to forgive people. <laughs> There's only so many times you could pray that daily without the Holy Spirit going, okay. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Okay, let's do it. Let's call this person. Let's sort this thing out. And you're like, dang it, I shouldn't have prayed that prayer. You told me to pray. Anyway, so just being transparent about the power of the Lord's Prayer, I encourage you to keep praying it. It's a, it's a good thing. <sighs> Thank you, Lord. Let's preach. Well, I want to talk today about Jesus. He produces joy. Jesus produces joy. Wherever Jesus went in the Bible, for those close to him, not, not by, for the Pharisees being rebuked, but for anyone seeking him, the sinner, uh, the prostitute, the tax collector, the child, the elderly, the widow, the, the grieving, the mourning, anyone, he produces joy. Jesus produces joy. And I want us to catch that. There's something crucial we see in this passage that I actually think we see most often in Luke. And Luke is this beautiful letter, one of the four Gospels, but it's the only one written by a non-Jewish person. Luke was a Gentile physician, most people say, but did this incredible report through Acts, uh, Luke and Acts. And, and one of the heartbeats of Luke is, if I could summarise it, the joy of God being manifest in the seeking of seeking, seeking and saving of the lost. You're going to see that theme all through Luke. I'm going to highlight about four parts today, but there's so many more. And so what I want us to see is that Jesus produces and is joy. And I know I preach on this a lot. This is like, I know this sounds like fundamental basic gospel, but I was even talking with someone not too long ago. And they were saying, they literally looked at me and they're like, Dan, you just kept preaching that same thing again and again. This person said, I only just recently got it. Like I got it. And it's easy for us to hear and believe Jesus produces joy. And the reason I'm going to hammer it again and again is because this world cannot produce joy. But the sin in us is so prone to chase temporary pleasures. And when they die or fall over, we just bounce to something else because we're created, like Kediana was saying, to discover true joy. You were created to find that true joy. And if we don't do it in Jesus, we're doing it in every other fleeting pleasure. And we're just bouncing around. So St. Augustine said, my soul will be restless until it finds rest in you. It's this. It's Jesus is joy. Nothing else will give you joy. You will have temporary happiness from a lot of other things, but they're fleeting moments. It will be gone. But what Jesus has to offer cannot be taken, and it does not run out. There's a book I've recommended a bunch of times. 
mainly because the author is one of my favorite thinkers uh, in the last century, Tim Keller, is still with us, so anything you can hear or read of his, please go and get it. Uh, he, the reason I say still with us, he's suffering pancreatic cancer at the moment and on a journey with that, but his book, Counterfeit Gods, it's a great book, Counterfeit Gods. Here's the introduction, A Strange Melancholy. After the global economic crisis began in mid-2008, there followed a tragic string of suicides of formerly wealthy and well-connected individuals. He gives a bit of detail about how they took their life. Uh, I'm just going to say took their life. Is that okay? For the sake of the crowd and being recorded. Um, the acting chief financial officer of Freddie Mac, the Federal Home Loan Mortgage Corporation, took his life in his basement. The chief executive of Sheldon Good, a leading US real estate auction firm, took his life in his expensive red Jaguar. A French money manager who invested the wealth of many of Europe's royal and leading families and lost $1.4 billion from his client's money in the, uh, I'm going to read the name wrong, Bernard Madoff's Ponzi scheme, took his life. Very creative way. Um, a Danish senior executive with HSBC Bank took his life in the wardrobe of his $500 a night suite in Knightsbridge, London, when a Bear Stearns executive learned he would not be hired by J.P. Morgan Chase, which had brought his collapsed firm. He took his life. A friend said the Bear Stearns thing completely broke his spirit. It was grimly reminiscent of the suicides in the wake of the 1929 stock market crash. See, in the 1830s, Alexis de... Tocqueville, thank you, Lord, <laughs> recorded, so this is 170 years before, recorded his famous observations of America. And he noted this, a strange melancholy haunts the inhabitants in the midst of abundance. <sighs> Americans believe that prosperity could quench their yearning for happiness. But such a hope was illusory because, as that French guy added, the incomplete joys of this world will never satisfy the human heart. I do not want to give doom and gloom of what's to come. But I feel like in a time when interest rates going up and inflation and, and talk of war, the one thing I do want to encourage is check your heart. Where are you getting your joy from right now? Because if it's anything in this world, it's going to go from a very great moment to a very bleak moment very quickly. Because if your joy can be robbed overnight, it shows you that your joy was in something of this world. But if your joy is in Jesus, it can't be taken to the point. I'm not talking this today. I'm going to take away from Pastor Graham's word next week about idolatry. But to the point that the guy, once he discovers Jesus, gives everything away. Like, is that insane to you? It's not only saying this world cannot offer pure joy, permanent joy. 
It's saying once you discover Jesus, everything in this world is revealed. You can finally see how fleeting and incomplete it is. And in this moment, we discover Jesus alone produces joy. A voice from heaven at his baptism said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. And then the fruit of the spirit is joy. So what I'm saying is that joy exists in the Trinity. Preached on this many times before. C.S. Lewis coined a term, the dance. What he talks about is before creation, the Trinity existed in perfect relationship, perfect harmony, perfect power, perfect holiness, perfect love. There was perfect joy in the Trinity before we were created. Therefore, creation is God inviting us to come to Him to encounter this absolute joy that the world cannot offer. Uh, Luke chapters 1, Jesus is about to come into the world, right? This is again in Luke. Jesus is just about to come. The angels come and announce it. Look how the angels announce Jesus is about to come. You will have great joy and gladness. And then many will rejoice. Many will have joy at his birth. The fruit of Jesus coming into the world is joy. (laughs) I know it's basic, but oh, it's so rich. Don't be afraid, he says to the shepherds. I, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Saviour, yes, the Messiah, the Lord has been born today. Jesus' predominant thing coming into the world was to bring absolute joy. Isn't this good news? Because you might be scared about, you know, I can't buy a house right now, I can't afford things, or my job security is blah, blah, blah. Jesus is with you still. And when I say blah, 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 I'm not saying that your, your stress and concern is nothing. It's valid. I'm just saying he's greater. He's greater. I'd be more nervous if you had it all right now because <laughs> you're still feeling empty without him. But if you've got him, woof, it's all good. And now, for time's sake, okay, so Jesus is the source of great joy. Here's something that fascinates me. Jesus experiences joy when we turn to him in repentance. Not when we get our life perfect. That should be, that's religion right there. Get your life in order. Do what he's flippant told you to do so he can put a smile on his face because he hasn't smiled in such a long time, especially with Slucy. Like there's a lot of people here and Jesus is trying to be joyful. You just keep going on cruises and... um, I love you. Yet again in in Luke, we read about the shepherd heart of Jesus, and I want you to see the joy. When the the sheep, they, they get lost, that's a person. Well, when the shepherd, when he's found his lost sheep, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. That word doesn't belong there. We'll talk about that soon. What about at the end, in verse 32 at the top, I put, when the father goes out to see the older brother about the lost son, the prodigal son coming home, we had to celebrate. That word celebrate there is is have joy. It's this, um, I pronounce things so wrong, chairo. 
I try and listen to it, and I try and remember the Hebrew and the Greek, and it still doesn't do me any joy. Chairo. Okay, that's the word we're looking at today. This God joy. Not chiropractic, but anyway, okay, so we had to have joy this happy day for your brother was dead and he's come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Jesus experiences joy when we turn to him. And this dude, this, this guy came back like dirty. The prodigal son was covered, stank. He's been feeding pigs. He's, he's spent all his money and, and pure joy. Pure joy is in that moment because the shepherd found a sheep, because the father found a child. Picture this moment. The reason I say it, it, it shouldn't belong there is because it makes more sense to find this dumb, disobedient sheep and smack it. Like, I, I've spoken on this before, but it, I've never had 99% on a test in my life. But if I ever get 99% on a test in my life, I won't be going up to the lecturer like, oh, where's my 1%? What did I do wrong? I'll just be rejoicing. I'm like, that's pretty good. It's the best I've ever done. If I was a shepherd and I have the choice of like clocking off at night time and having some dinner with 99%, going through the dark and the wilderness with if David's accurate, apparently there's like lions and bears out there. Go figure. But there's like, think there's dangers. And I'm looking for one dumb sheep. It was here. I didn't push it away. I didn't force it away. The other sheep didn't ostracize it. Like it didn't, nothing. They weren't paying it out. It decided by itself to not be here. Teach it a lesson. You can go and spend the night out there. See if you want to come back tomorrow. Otherwise, we're having lamb chops. Spoken like a true New Zealander. I love it. <laughs> Slow cook. Come on. Mm. Joy doesn't belong here when we think, when I think, <laughs> from my perspective. But that's what I'm trying to learn. Because as I say, and I really mean this, I can find myself in the position of the grumbling religious people too easily. Church my whole life, <laughs> studied the Bible, blah, blah, blah. And what I'm prone to do because I'm a compartmentalist is I start to create boxes for God to live in. I don't know if you're anything like me. Well, if I do this, God has to do this. And if I'm in this situation, God has to do this. And if I, if I fast, I have to do If I give, God has to. And if I serve, God has to. And if I... God has, okay, cool. And we create, the religious people create boxes for God. And when he breaks those boxes, because God can do whatever the heck he wants, religious people are the only ones to grumble. Zacchaeus never grumbled. People experiencing that joy from the shepherd never grumble. It's the one who think that joy has to be earned. They're the people who grumble. And I've got to watch myself. Uh, I'm just going to. So the Asprey revival happens recently, right? And I've got to watch myself because I'm like hearing at the start, oh, like a bunch of uni students have had a really long worship service and it's revival. I'm like, that's not revival. Like, look at the Welsh revival, Evan Roberts. Look at the Azusa Street. Like, we want to talk revival. And this thing just keeps going. I think in the end, it was like 12 days before they were forced to close it down because the campus actually has to teach 
it's actually a university and they didn't have facilities so they shifted it somewhere else. And this town of what I was listening to, a, an interview with Peter Gregg, he started 24-7 prayer, um, it's a worldwide thing, started in England, he does an interview with Mark Sayers and this town apparently is like 5,000 people live there. And they reckon over the 12 days, upwards of 100,000 people came through this university to worship and experience God. There was reports of people in Chile, this couple sold both their cars to get there to sit in the auditorium to experience God. And he has this great, great little disclaimer for me. He's like, let's just change the word revival to just outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And when he worded it like that, he started going, do you know what? God does what he wants when he wants. And this thing, he's just talking, I won't take too much time. He's like, there was no formula here. He goes, it was a normal chapel. Someone apparently did a pretty average message. The guy talked to Peter Gregg and said, I actually didn't even prepare. I forgot to prepare. Did this awful preach. Apparently he wasn't happy with it. And they, <laughs> and they finished. And they went to finish. And it literally was, it wasn't this planned 12-day thing. The students went to go back to class and felt they couldn't. And so they stayed there and just kept worshipping. And there are no words on the screen. And there's often someone on acoustic and that's it. And there's no smoke machines. As a Pentecostal, I didn't even know the Holy Spirit moved without a smoke machine. I thought he was limited to smoke machines. There's no strobe lights or million dollar LED. I didn't even know, I needed a screen. I thought he's, that's why I thought he wasn't here. I was like, God. And God rocked up in the most beautiful way. And he, had, he added this one more disclaimer I just wanted to touch on. He said, oftentimes when we study outpourings of the Holy Spirit, what we realize is that it's, um, it comes in different ways and it looks like there's normally something, something significant about that one that is actually an answer to what's going on in the world at the time. He said, so when Azusa Street happened, there's signs and wonders everywhere. Off the back of largely cessationism. There wasn't many signs and wonders up until Azusa Street, early 1900s. Uh, Toronto Blessing, it's crazy. I remember being a kid and just, it was nuts, even here. But it was like wild, what's going on, right? In the similar time of kind of a global recession, late 80s, early 90s and things, he was saying. Right now, he said, we're living in the most anxious, depressed time that we've known. And the outpouring of the Spirit there, he's like, everyone who's experienced it is this overwhelming peace and joy. And the reason I want to say that is, I'm <laughs> prone to study aspirin. Go, cool, how do we do that here? <laughs> how do I get that garbage preacher and fly him over here so we can start it here? <laughs> because we formularize God. And we start to go, they did A plus B and they got C, I better do A plus B. And if C doesn't happen, what went wrong? Where are you? You can't be good. And these are the people who grumble. These are the people who are annoyed, the older brothers who refuse to come to the party. You didn't do this. You're meant to do this. I've done this. You didn't do this. And we put God in a box. And I would argue God's joy is on offer to those who destroy every single religious box other than 
the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If you stay in a posture of God is always on mission, saving people, then I think we can partner with Him in whatever that looks like. Now we might have a 12 and 15 day worship day here one day because the Holy Spirit rocks up, but it also might never happen. Are you okay with both? (laughs) Is your heart good? Because the fruit of revival is mission. So let's be on mission now and experience His joy. We get a chance to experience His joy. The third thing I'll touch on is Jesus always invites people into this moment of mission to experience joy with Him. So I touched on the word chairo, perfect pronunciation, I know. But this, um, watch this, rejoice with me in verse 6. In verse 9, rejoice with me, sig chairo. I'm so good. (laughs) It literally means co-joy. Have my joy. Have my joy. How good is this? Now I get discipline is uh, something we see in the Bible. Church discipline is there. It's in Hebrews 12. It's in Matthew 18. We see church discipline carried out in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 5 is a pretty hectic one, but we see it there. The only thing I want to touch on is it's not here. It's not Jesus' first step. That's what I want to touch on. Because sometimes people wander away or people come back and the first thing we're focused on is, well, have we told them what they did wrong? (laughs) And I understand a part of discipleship is teaching people and coaching, but it's not the first Point of call. The first response of Jesus and the first feeling He wants people around Him to have is joy. He's like, let's just start by rejoicing. Let's just start with a party. Like, shouldn't we be telling this little brother of mine everything he did wrong? And for me, I think the Father's like, we'll get to that, dude, like a lot later. But now we've got a party. We have to. He's like, we have to. He said in verse 32, Luke 15, we had to party. There was no other choice. The brother's like, yes, there was. Of course, telling him how he was wrong. Four weeks, so let him sit down after church upstairs where we can show him where he went wrong. And the father's like, no, party, joy, rejoice with me. Have my joy is always the first step. At the end of John chapter three, we read this beautiful moment with John the Baptist, right? And he's pretty well known. He's got disciples. You know, Philip and Andrew were his disciples first. And incredible thing. And then in John 3, the disciples are having this discussion and debate, as they do, because everyone is now going to the other side of the river to be baptised by Jesus. So John, his disciples are leaving. His crowd is leaving. And John says this wonderful line in John 3, verse 29 He says, this joy of mine is now full or complete. When his ministry is dwindling, it seems like. Disciples are dwindling, it seems like. It's not what's happening. People are meeting Jesus. People are going to Jesus. That's the goal. And they're coming to Him. And John is like, I've never been happier. I've never had this much joy. 
Everything I've put my life to and my energy to and my time to and my prayer to and these baptisms to has been that moment. This joy of mine is now complete. So Jesus is the source of joy. Let us not forget that God experiences joy. Jesus is at his happiest when people repent. So as a church, let's be at our happiest. Let's experience the most joy when people repent. When we hear a story about Ketiana experiencing the world and realising she only had temporary happiness is not true joy. And then she found it in him. May your heart be the happiest it's ever been in that moment. I'll finish with this because the goal of salvation is this. The goal of salvation is people experiencing that ultimate joy. Zacchaeus, once he heard that he's always been known, and we looked at it, um, in case you're a reader, just throw out books every now and again. It's a simple read, but it's a beautiful read. Uh, Brennan Manning is the name. He was a Catholic priest who became an alcoholic who then went through this big journey coming back to God. And he wrote a book, he's written a bunch, but uh, Ragamuffin Gospel. Wonderful, wonderful read. And Ragamuffin Gospel talks about this moment in the Jewish culture to say, I want to enter your home, I must enter your home for lunch, is not just saying, feed me. It's saying, I must enter into a relationship with you. So when Zacchaeus hears that, Jesus wants to be in a relationship with me, the fruit was joy. I love that. Zacchaeus climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy. That is what we're praying for for our friends and family. Amen. I just want to pull these few verses out because they summarise that part so well. I put Psalm 23. Ah, oh, I love praying this. The Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. The Lord is my shepherd. I've got everything. I've got it all. Jesus words it like this. Can we keep that up there, please? That'd be amazing. Thanks, Ella. Remember in John 4, we're going to get to it next month. I'm taking a piece, I'm pulling it now. But Jesus, it's this discussion about water, getting water from the well, drinking water. This is Jesus' words. This is what we're talking about today. Anyone who drinks this water of the world will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. And it becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Jesus is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Life won't be easy, friends, but He'll be with you. And joy is on offer. Right? Like this is what we, we, we say this verse often. One of the first things, the first book written in the New Testament was James. The first thing he says, James 1 verse 2, count it joy when you enter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its work in you that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And if you lack wisdom in that moment, just let him ask God who gives it freely without reproach. That's why we count it joy in tough times. We still have Jesus. You can be in the most brutal season ever. And I'm not downplaying it. Painful. 
But if you can engage and pray, talk to the Holy Spirit and say, can you give me eyes to see what you are doing? I'm convinced anyway. You'll start to see what God is doing in your world around you. And joy is on offer. The great shepherd is literally saying to you, rejoice with me. He says that to people who were just watching. Like they didn't, I didn't get lost and I didn't find it and it's not even my sheep. And the shepherd still says, have my joy, share my joy. You might be going through a really tough time over here and you're like, I don't even know that person. I didn't, I didn't, I've never even prayed that person's name. I've, I didn't invite that person. I didn't sit next to that person at Easter. It doesn't matter. We can still have ultimate joy, kingdom joy, fruit of the Spirit joy, because we know God's saving people. Amen. And He's got joy. There is more joy in the presence of the angel over one sinner who repents. Thank you, Lord. Can we pray together? Lord, we love you. Good God. We thank you, God, that not only do you go seeking and saving that which is lost, which is huge in itself. You left heaven's throne room to come down here to seek and save that which was lost. That is massive by itself. But not only that, you're not angry when you find us and you save us. You're full of joy. When we're in our brokenness, when we are lost, when we're hurting, when we're afraid, when we're not sure, when we're unable to save ourselves, you find us. And for some unknown reason, you experience ultimate joy. God, I thank you that that revelation would lead to worship right now. That just like Kediana, every single one of us, we were not the people who found you. We were lost. And you came and found us. And you brought us into relationship and you rejoiced. You brought us home rejoicing. Heaven rejoiced. Not when we worked our way to you. When you worked your way to us. It's grace. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray for our neighbours. I pray for our friends. I pray for our family, our work colleagues, the people we're naming right now, the people we're intentionally writing down and naming. Help them to see you, God. Holy Spirit, we pray just like your word says in 1 Corinthians 3, we will continue to plant seeds and we will continue to water seeds, but only you can make it grow. So Holy Spirit, we pray that as we do life with them, invite them over for dinner, as we invite them to church, as we talk about you, open the eyes of their heart, help them to see you, God. We do not want to see more people in this room through our clever ideas and methods and tactics. We want to see people born again by the power of the Holy Spirit into the kingdom of God, changed for all eternity. God, bless us with the greatest blessing there is of salvation. Help us to grow in how much joy we experience in that moment. Help us to join you as you rejoice. 
In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Can we stand to our feet, church? We're going to worship God. Break these chains. 
Spend